get it going to wrap up the week for midday on the Rural Radio Network as we head on into an afternoon that uh, is going to launch a weekend. Doesn't look too bad here. We got through that winter storm and everything has been kind of on the up and up since that time. Beautiful day in the neighborhood over there at Susan Littlefield's place. It is. The sun is shining. I was outside doing television. It was a beautiful day so far. That's good. And I'll take it. Yeah, that's good news. Now, uh, with all the uh, the uh, changes in tax policy that have come down the pike here recently, uh, you can kind of throw out all of the previous plans that you had for your taxes, and it's a whole new ball game, Susan. You know it is, and so you got to go to Plan B, and obviously having somebody who understands all the new tax laws and rules and discussions, and they change them every single year, but finding somebody to do that's always important. Now, coming up at... 1245, Shaley is going to have Amy Novak. She's with NPACE discussing the upcoming tax implications. There's going to be a workshop coming up so you can get further details. And, of course, we'll have Al Dutcher at 1217 talking more about this beautiful weather that is coming our way. And have you ever thought about sweet sorghum as ethanol? Now, I think of sweet sorghum, I think of my pancakes. <laughs> but we'll talk more about that. Clay's got some folks on at 117 talking about how they're utilizing that now for ethanol. Well, either way, it'll rev your engine, that's for sure. <laughs> there you go. Keep you fully fueled for the day. Absolutely. Now, Susan, uh, you're a big uh, Minnesota Twins fan, is that right? I do love my Twins, yes. Okay, yeah. Well, I, I want you to know that it's going to be a national day of mourning, apparently, for uh, one of the rival teams here, the Kansas City Royals. Let's see what Brandon has to say. Lorenzo Kane, where the popular thought behind him is, you know, Earth is covered in two-thirds of water, yeah. and the other third is covered by Lorenzo Kane, <laughs> Longtime center fielder for the Kansas City Royals. Actually was a Milwaukee Brewers draft prospect. Came to the Royals in the big trade that sent Zach Grinke from the Royals to the Brewers, mm -hmm. and now Low Kane is going back to Milwaukee, a five-year, $80 million deal that will take him back to the Milwaukee Brewers because the Brewers are completely redoing their outfield because they're tired of coming in second to the Cubs. Mm -hmm. And so the huge loss for the Royals, it is a national day of mourning for Royals Nation. All right. Well, thanks very much for that information. Anything else going on for the weekend? Big wins yesterday for the University of Nebraska at Kearney men's and women's basketball teams. That, of course, follows the big wins the day before for the Huskers. And we're going to talk about how how Roger Federer, at 36 years old, is in a record-setting final at the Australian Open. Okay. And over here on uh, the business desk, we have Dave Schroeder today. Well, there are solid gains being made in technology and healthcare stocks today. And uh, the uh, chip maker Intel jumped 9.4%. Bond prices fell at uh, last check. The Dow Jones Industrial added 71 points this morning. S&P up 13 uh, New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut say they plan to do, join together to sue the federal government over the Republican-led federal tax overhaul. The three states' Democratic governors announced that they will team up to take the Trump administration on in court over the federal tax plan. So we got all that coming up. All right. Motto. I can't imagine what their motto would be. No, we want higher taxes. No, we want higher taxes. Bring it on. And Susan, you're still with us, right? I am. All right. And we're still looking for a cattle on feed report this afternoon. Is that correct? Exactly. That'll come out at 2 o'clock. And we had worries we wouldn't get the report with the government shutdown earlier mm -hmm. in the week, but it will be on. 
as scheduled, and they're saying don't expect any big surprises. All right, very good. It's all coming up for you today on Midday. Holdridge Irrigation, your Ranky dealer, brings us our ag weather today with Paul Perkins. Not a bad weekend shaping up. No, uh, and pretty nice for this time of year overall. You can't really complain. Tomorrow looks to be the better of the two days, and some cooler air is on the way. Better enjoy because it gets much colder by next weekend. See, no, I, I gave you the opportunity <laughs> to not tell us that. We're not going to deny this charge. All right. Full disclosure with Paul Perkins. All righty. Yeah, today is cooler behind the passage of a cold front. It looks like that front and some disturbances behind that front kicking up maybe a few sprinkles or maybe a few flurries from about Imperial on into Ray, Colorado, in the northeast part of Colorado. Maybe also a few flurries and sprinkles in Northwest Cherry County down to just southeast of Alliance. Overall temperatures in most areas, upper 30s to low 40s in west and central Nebraska. But as you head towards eastern Nebraska and northern Kansas, those temperatures about 45 to 50, including as warm as 55 right now at Alliance and 58 towards Topeka. Today, cooler with that passage of the cold front, persistent snow cover in some areas, and also some clouds holding back the temperatures. Also, winds a bit breezy to windy at times behind that front. High pressure going to build in from the west tonight. That'll clear out the skies and calm down the winds. Temperatures tomorrow will be warmer than normal with the west winds off that area of high pressure. Then an Alberta clipper, a quick-moving area of low pressure out of Alberta, Canada, will cross the upper Midwest. That will send a stronger cold front south across their area by tomorrow night. Then temperatures Sunday and Monday. Back to more seasonal levels. Note that I'm not saying colder than normal. So we will hold off on any very chilly air for the time being. Nice warm-up on the way for Tuesday with the southwest wind ahead of our next storm system. That storm system looks like it's going to stay well to the south and going to be a weak one. Light snow or rain is possible, but nothing significant Wednesday into Thursday. The big certainty with this system is a pattern change to much colder temperatures by the end of next week and probably starting up on Thursday. In our long-term forecast, that strong likelihood temperatures will be colder than normal in Nebraska and Kansas Wednesday through the first eight days of February. For reference, early February highs in central Nebraska are usually in the upper 30s to around 40 with overnight lows on average in the mid-teens. For precipitation, our prediction is for near normal to slightly above normal precipitation Wednesday through the 8th, nothing too eventful. Weather factors in the market included dry weekend for central Argentina and heavy rain indicated across northern Brazil. Over the weekend here in the U.S., rain likely a cold to Along a cold front across the eastern U.S., rain could become heavy towards the lower southeast. Colder air will trail that front from the Midwest into the northeast. Most of the U.S., though, remaining dry over the next several days. And we could see some record-setting warmth across parts of the nation's midsection early next week. The southern plains remain dry with no significant precipitation in sight. A pattern change also could aggravate the wheat situation with some colder weather that's in the forecast for early next month. In Argentina, there will be limited rain and seasonal to warmer than normal temperatures across the primary crop areas over the weekend. That's going to decrease the soil moisture even more for developing corn and soybeans, especially corn that's now pollinating. There's just an uncertain chance of beneficial rain tomorrow and more hot and dry weather expected next week. In North Brazil, a wet pattern not helping with maturing soybeans and harvest. Mato Grosso harvest progress right now lagging behind the pace of last year. 
So as we hit the end of February, uh, end of January, into the early part of February, you're saying we don't have any pro- I'm so disappointed there's no prospects for a named storm coming in here. <laughs> well, you know, we don't get into that, and we kind of leave that to the, you know, the so-called <laughs> professionals at the Weather Channel to give everybody nicknames. What I'm saying is no- nothing all that significant is uh, on the on the horizon except for maybe the uh, just the cool down. Here. Yeah, exactly. Um Slightly, maybe some slightly above normal precipitation for the early part of February, but all in all, nothing really big on the horizon for the time being. Just those, that likelihood of colder air. Right. It's probably going to last for a good week to 10 days. All right. Well, we'll take that to heart and see what we can make of it. Holdridge Irrigation, your Ranky dealer, brought you this edition of Ag Weather with Paul Perkins. When you knew weather anytime, krvn.com. Concerns shifting south. Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the World Radio Network. Last year, a drought worry centered around the northern plains and grazing conditions in the Dakotas and across Montana. Those areas do remain dry, but the intensity has weakened, according to the latest U.S. Drought Monitor. Moving into 2018, drought intensity in area is spreading, extending over the southwest, southern plains, and Great Plains. That, according to the American Farm Bureau's Market Intel Service. Part of Texas has not seen any measurable precipitation in more than 100 days. A swath from northern Texas extending into parts of Oklahoma Panhandle region and further into southern Kansas is rated in extreme drought. That according to the monitor. All of Oklahoma falls under a drought classification with much of the state rated in moderate drought. The monitor reports that agricultural impacts from the drought are being felt in Utah, Kansas, and Oklahoma. Agricultural certainly has its share of local, state, and national regulations, and that includes the pork industry. Bruce Gorder has more. Pat McGonigal is the CEO of the Iowa Pork Producers Association, and he talks about the regulatory climate in his industry. Well, certainly there's a lot of questions around it. Um, Obviously, A, we're pretty regulated today. In fact, we're very regulated today, and I think producers do a good job with it. The last, uh, I was talking to a pork producer a little bit, his manure management plan was about 225 pages. Mm. So he's really committed to doing the right thing, and and I don't see that individual producer as uh, just one case. I think that's across the board. So um, obviously there's questions about it. At this point, we don't think there's any need, certainly for a moratorium, um, particularly when rural Iowa needs more activity. Um, and, but in, in addition to that, we're going to continue to work out ways that we can improve the regulations as an organization. So I, I don't think you hear us say, no, don't do anything. Um, we'll continue to be involved in the discussion. That's Pat McGonigal, CEO of the Iowa Pork Producers Association, and I'm Bruce Gorder on the Rural Radio Network. Whether you're into the Super Bowl or not, you might find this next story a little interesting. The annual Chicken Wing Report by the National Chicken Council estimates that Americans will consume 1.35 billion wings. Yeah, that's billion with a B during Super Bowl weekend. That will be an all-time high. The report released says that the number of wings that will be consumed during next weekend's Super Bowl between the Philadelphia Eagles and the New England Patriots is up 20 million wings, or 1.5% from last year. NCC spokesperson Tom Super assured consumers there'll be no wing shortage to contend with when he head out to the grocery store before the big game. Now, the number of wings consumed, according to the NCC, is enough to put 625 wings on every seat in all 32 NFL stadiums. 
The report also finds that 59% of U.S. adults who eat chicken wings say they typically like to eat their wings with ranch dressing. Further, according to the survey, 60% of wing eaters prefer traditional bone-in wings, while 40% say they'd rather go boneless. Biodiesel support kicked off a year-long celebration this week at the National Biodiesel Conference and Expo in Fort Worth, Texas, celebrating the National Biodiesel Board's 25th anniversary. The representative told attendees during the event that after noting that the U.S. went from zero to three billion gallons of biodiesel production in 25 years, that we are the tipping point on the verge of greatness and that anything is possible in the future. Information presented during the annual conference showed that in 2017, the U.S. biodiesel industry used more than 6 billion pounds of soybean oil and other 6 billion pounds of other fats and oils to create demand. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. It's time again this week to visit with Nebraska Extension Agricultural Climatologist Al Dutcher. I'm Shaley Peters joining you now on the Rural Radio Network and Al we all survived the blizzard earlier on in the week, not really getting as much as we expected throughout much of the state, but we've seen a bit of a warm-up since then. What can we expect headed into this weekend and next week? Well, enjoy the nice weather that we've had the last couple of days. It's coming to a dramatic end as we move through the next 24 hours. We haven't yet another cold air mass moving into our region, thankfully for the most part, except for the areas of exceptionally heavy snowfall in the state. We've lost a lot of that snowpack, so that's going to help in terms of moderating this air mass moving southward out of the uh, Canadian regions of the country. Therefore, when we look at the highs tomorrow, we're probably going to be, for the most part, in the low to mid-40s. A cold front will move through the state as the day progresses. That will bring in a little bit much, a little bit cooler air into our region. And we'd be looking at highs consistently in the upper 20s to the mid-30 degree range across the state as we go through Sunday. Since this is coming from a northerly direction, of course, we don't have much in the way of any significant moisture associated with the system. So we're not expecting much of anything to even appear on radar we go to this weekend. Now, as we go into next week, that that troughing pattern quickly subsides and moves east of us, and that's going to allow uh, the ridge from the western United States to once again build back into the region, and we'll see a warming trend, particularly in the early part of the week. And then as we go into the later half of the week, the tension will turn to another Arctic air mass trying to make its way southward, and timing of that event will determine to an extent how cold we get at the end of the week and into through next weekend. Uh, this looks like a fairly bitter Arctic air mass. It doesn't look like it's poised to really enter in in earnest to the plains until we get into at least a Friday-Saturday time period. So if it does follow the expectations right now, that cold air will continue to sag in through the day on Friday and Saturday. Uh, we might see a little bit of relief as we go into Sunday as it stalls out and a piece of low pressure forms along the backside of that uh, trough that is going to set up over the eastern United States, and that will be centered someplace into uh, central Wyoming and through northeastern Colorado. That may allow a little bit of overrunning precipitation uh, to fall, particularly across the Panhandle region. And as that cold air sags into place, it basically locks, is what we like to call it, locks the cold air into the eastern United States and keeps a fairly persistent pattern of cold for the full first full week of February into the central United States. What is a little bit more 
interesting is another pulse of moisture is supposed to come into the western United States. And the models at this time point to the possibility that some of that moisture will make, head straight eastward over the Rockies and merge with this cold air, providing some more snowfall accumulation. This may indeed be early signs of our next impending snowmaker for much of the central United States. And if it does come to fruition, we're probably looking at somewhere in the area of the 7th to about the 10th when we would start to turn our attention to this active weather pattern once again entering into the U.S. Bottom line is, is if you look out even farther into the future, it looks like we're going to see a, a period that's primarily dominated by a huge trough in the eastern United States, similar to the type of pattern that we've seen from mid-December, mid to late December all the way through the middle of January. So do not be surprised that we will see a reversal back from a bunch above normal temperatures that have been persistent the last two weeks in the eastern United States. Replace that with more below normal temperatures. Thanks so much, Nebraska Extension Agricultural Climatologist Al Dutcher. For more, you can visit ruralradio.com. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. You're listening to the Midday Program on the Rural Radio Network, and it's time to check sports with Brandon. Good afternoon, Dirk. Senior guard Michaela Berry scored 33 points and assisted on the game-winning bucket with 2.8 seconds left as the University of Nebraska Kearney women's basketball team rallied past Lindenwood University 80-78 to last night in St. Charles, Missouri. Assistant coach for the Lopers, Brandon Rohr, talked about the game. The character of our girls and I think what culture Gary Amy has built within our program, you know, but it's just unbelievable to see the way that, again, we fought back. And so, again, just great, great poise by our kids. I think that's the key word, just the, the poise that they had. The Lopers are now 15-3 and overall, 7-3 and in the MIAA, and they continue a magical season where they improved to 9-0 in games decided by 10 points or less and posting their eighth fourth quarter rally of the season. The Lopers also have won 7 of 8 to be tied with two other teams for third place in the conference standings. As for the UNK men's senior guard and York native Ty Danielson hit two free throws with five seconds left to help the Loper men hold off Lindenwood 67-64 last night. The Lopers are now 9-10 on the year, 5-5 five five in the conference. They won a third straight game by 10 points or less and picked up their first road win since November 17th. UNK led all 40 minutes of the game but had to hang on after senior forward Trey Landsman fouled out with 142 remaining in the game. And Lorenzo Kane has agreed to a five-year, $80 million deal to return to the Milwaukee Brewers. Kane is a former Brewers farmhand who joins Christian Yelich as part of a dramatic outfield makeover for the Brewers, a team hoping to dethrone the Chicago Cubs in the National League Central. The 31-year-old Kane has spent the last seven seasons in Kansas City, where he was part of the Royals Corps that won an American League championship in 2014 and the World Series in 2015. Kane was drafted by the Brewers in the 17th round before being traded to Kansas City as part of the deal that sent Zach Greinke to Milwaukee right before the 2011 season. Roger Federer has advanced to the Australian Open final after his opponent retired from their semifinal match. The 36-year-old defending champion Federer will face Martin Cilic on Sunday afternoon. Yesterday's match was just an hour old when Federer's opponent pulled out, trailing 1-6-2-5. The 21-year-old South Korean opponent had taken a medical timeout earlier in the second set to receive treatment on his foot. This final will be Federer's record seventh at the Australian Open and the 30th Grand Slam final of his career. And Michigan State University Athletic Director Mark Hollis has stepped down in the wake of the Larry Nassar sexual abuse scandal. 
Hollis has been on the job for 10 years, and he announced his retirement earlier this morning, two days after the Michigan State campus president, Lou Anna Simon, stepped down amid the outcry over how the school handled allegations against Nasser, a former school employee accused of molesting dozens of young girls and women over the years. Nasser also worked for USA Gymnastics, where he abused some of the world's most elite gymnasts, including several Olympians. Earlier this week, Nasser was sentenced to decades in prison. That's a look at sports. Stay tuned. More of Midday is straight ahead. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Mostly sunny today with a high near 46. Tonight, mostly clear with a low of around 21. And then for Saturday, sunny with a high with a high near 42. From the KRVN News Center, I'm Scott Foster. Hearings began this week for the first of several tax reform measures. The Revenue Committee held a hearing on Thursday for Baird Senator Steve Erdman's LB-829, which is referred to as the 50-50 plan. Another bill, LB-947, was introduced by Papillion Senator Jim Smith on behalf of Governor Pete Ricketts. Gatherberg Senator Matt Williams says at this point he favors the governor's proposal. Until we see something different, I like the structure of the governor's bill the way he has put it together, uh, but again, it is just a, a structure, but it allows us under that structure to continue having a discussion of how we achieve meaningful property tax relief and uh, a, a minor amount of, of income tax relief, and then, of course, the workforce development. So I'm, I'm leaning that way, but uh, I, again, I don't think there's a silver bullet here. We're going to have to uh, combine some things and put together the best. The governor's proposal would address property taxes by restructuring the existing $224 million property tax credit program rather than have the credit subtracted from a property tax bill. Homeowners and agricultural landowners would get refundable income tax credits worth 10% of the property taxes paid. The bills include a trigger mechanism that would increase the credits if the state tax revenues grow. The bill also would lower the top individual and corporate tax rates to 6.69% over the next two years, down from 6.84% for the top individuals and 7.81% for corporations. The Ricketts proposal joins measures introduced by Senators Kurt Friesen and Tom Brees. A bill that would keep taxes on Social Security benefits in Nebraska in line with inflation was introduced to the Revenue Committee on Wednesday. David Holmquist, president of AARP Nebraska, who testified in favor of the bill, was questioned by Senator Paul Shoemaker of Columbus. You're telling us a good reason for you to have a tax break. Tomorrow, somebody else could be sitting in that chair saying, I'm the good reason for a tax break. I, I understand. And so when we don't have any money, it's kind of hard to give anybody a tax break. It is. Um, but I, I think we also have to look at the, at the if you will, the, we've worried about the brain drain for Nebraska with young people graduating from college and leaving because there aren't any, supposedly there aren't any jobs. Um, there are many, many Nebraskans who flee to more tax-friendly havens like Arizona, particularly Florida, where there is no tax at all on income. No one testified in opposition to the bill, and the committee took no immediate action on it. Your phone is just one click away from closings and cancellations when you use our app. From the KRVN News Center, I'm Scott Foster. 
Kaylee Peters joining you now. I'm on the road for agriculture in Grand Island today, visiting here with Greg Thurman, Thurman Harvesting out of Burlington, Oklahoma. Greg, you are the president of U.S. Custom Harvesters. This is your annual convention here in Grand Island. President for a little while longer anyway. And as you move off of this role then and jump into a new year, what does that look like for you? We made a policy several years ago where the past president sticks around as an advisor to the board. You know, he sets in on all the calls, and, and you still do a lot of work. And it's it's a very good position because you've got a little history with the board. And so if you just sit in and listen on the phone calls at every board meeting and they, they need a little advice, they'll ask you for it, you know. And so that'll be my position for the next year. And I'll probably still go to Washington and do some of the traveling just to introduce the new board members. But right now we've we've only got actually one position that is going to change. We've got three good board members running for a board position and and that board position is J.C. Skimper and he's going to take the vice president. He's running for vice president so he'll be president in a year. And we do have a revolving board and some people don't like that but it it gives everybody a chance to kind of get used to it. And you know we've had had board members run for two terms you know and like me and Jim Dybert were past presidents and things weren't going the way we liked and we were on the outside looking in and we both decided let's do it again you know I mean I I opted to run for vice president a few years ago and got elected and then Jim decided to run some things he didn't like so he decided to do it again and and it's kind of uh and he got elected so we're kind of the old guys on the board it's kind of funny we got you know me and Jim the old guys with the history and then we got a bunch of young well we got two young men and a young lady and they are very good at social media and all the updates there and they can keep track of that a lot better than us and you know we've got a very diversified board but it's pretty interesting which has to be encouraging moving forward um, to see that youth come in and take on a leadership role US Custom Harvesters meets in Grand Island throughout this week so what are some of the highlights from this particular convention here well we got machine repeat coming on Saturday so I'm pretty sure that's going to be a real big hit yeah, we got we got a good convention. We've had a lot of uh, oh interest in our convention. You know, we got it's probably one of the better. Every year we just get a little bigger, a little more machinery, but that creates challenges too. Because then we got to find a bigger facility. You know, we got to have a hundred thousand square foot to put the thing on. You know, and we need a motel kind of close. It's just everything's challenging. You know, and then we get hit with the weather issue like we did here, which wasn't bad. We made it work, but boy, it was some people didn't get much sleep for about two or three days getting everything cleaned up, moved in, and. You know, and then you got to deal with the issue of how big a mess you made inside on the floors and everything. And now we got to deal with the issue of the ice out in the parking lot and people walking around. And we got some people here that aren't very young, and we get nervous about that. So, anyhow, it's uh, it's, there's something going on all the time. You got to we adapt well because we're used to it in our business. Talk to me about you are headed into your season here coming up it'll be here before you know it really always preparation going on for that what are you looking forward to in your 2018 harvest season well right now i'm really looking for a rain everywhere <laughs> we're really dry i'm from oklahoma and it's it's tough down there and, and texas is tough and uh, i think out in western kansas some guys got a nice wet snow but it's it's dry and you know we're we've been struggling with that drought for the last several years it just kind of hit and miss there but you know, we need a good general rain everywhere so everybody can get a little better attitude. Ag, ag attitude isn't real good right now with low commodity prices and high machinery costs and high insurance costs. So, 
you know, inputs are terrible, and and uh, we just Mother Nature's just not handing us the kind of moisture that we actually need to feel good about the summer. Always at Mother Nature's whim here in agriculture. Thank you so much. It's Greg Thurman. He is president of the U.S. Custom Harvesters Board, and they have their annual meeting happening here in Grand Island. On the road for agriculture, I'm Shaley Peters on the Rural Radio Network. Back on the Rural Radio Network, now we go to Joe Teal of Great Plains Commodities for a check of the closing livestock futures. Talk about volatility, we had it today, and you kind of got lulled to sleep in the first couple of hours because we really weren't doing much. Uh, then uh, then things kind of lit up, and uh, right into the last, uh, oh, I'd say 20 minutes, uh, we really had a uh, hard and fast rally in the feeders and in the cats uh, and uh, uh, they got back most of what we lost yesterday uh, going into a, a cattle on feed report. Uh, not really, I haven't heard of anything. There potentially must have been a sale or something that went on, uh, but it, it hasn't been announced. And uh, uh, so that uh, uh, really was a volatile finish in the end uh, there. Uh, the hogs, they were a lot more benign, uh, finishing just slightly lower, cash just slightly lower uh, during the day. Cutouts on uh, both near unchanged uh, for the hogs and for the beef, so really didn't get much leadership there. So now we're going to wait that uh, 2 o'clock uh, catalog feed report decide uh, where we go from here on Monday. Joe, with nearly down-limit cattle yesterday, then back gaining those losses today, any direction that we can take from this for future trade? Uh, no, you really can't. Uh, you know, we did, we had a, a reversal down yesterday. We had a reversal up, back up today. Uh, so, no, it, it just looks like uh, back and forth. That's Joe Teal of Great Plains Commodities joining us on the Rural Radio Network. A different crop may help western Nebraska producers' balance sheets. It also may help improve ethanol. That's all ahead on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Clay Patton. UNL recently conducted a study on sweet sorghum, not only as a crop alternative to corn for western Nebraska producers, but also as a potential different feedstock for Great Plains corn ethanol plants. So talking with us today is Professor of Ag Economics for UNL, Richard Perrin. And Professor Perrin, just kind of outline what the whole basic thought was behind this study. Clay, another a number of uh, of researchers at the university have been interested in this possibility for a decade or or longer <clears throat> to take advantage of the new ethanol markets. And the idea is that we have the potential for a crop like sweet sorghum, which is like grain sorghum, is pretty drought resistant and uh, doesn't require as much input for um, producing forage as does the grain sorghum or corn so it it appears to be a crop that would be a low input and fairly hardy crop in the west of nebraska and the thought has been that for a portion of the year while the sweet sorghum is being harvested a corn ethanol plant could dispense with the corn and instead bring in the fresh sorghum stalks crush them and ferment the um, juice instead of fermenting 
corn and produce the same the same ethanol that would be produced either way. So the issue then of our study has been, well, does it make sense for the farmer and would it, could it make sense for the ethanol plant <clears throat> to substitute sweet sorghum stalks for corn grain for a couple of months in the fall. So that's the basis of what our study was about. What are some of the economic differences and possible benefits for a producer raising sweet sorghum versus corn, especially in western Nebraska? What we imagine is that the logical thing to do would be for the producer, the farmer, to raise the sweet sorghum, leave it standing in the field, and then have a contract with an ethanol plant to come and do the harvesting and transporting, etc. So for the farmer, the issue would be whether to raise presumably a normal corn crop or a sweet sorghum crop. And the cultural practices and the equipment and so on is basically the same for the two. So what matters is uh, which of the two is likely to make the most money. And we are using a baseline of uh, 65 bushels per acre for dryland corn in western Nebraska, which is about the average over the recent years. And comparing that with an expected production of 20 tons per acre of sweet sorghum stocks. And we have a budget worked out for each. It's much cheaper, of course, to produce um, sweet sorghum because it requires less inputs and there's no harvesting operations and so on. So we base the comparison on budgets for those two operations to figure out what price the farmer would have to receive for the sweet sorghum in order to be able to do better than the corn crop. That's uh, Professor Richard Perrin of UNL. He's an ag economics professor and headed up the study on sweet sorghum as not only a potential uh, rotational crop used for western Nebraska producers in place of corn, but also that it's possible use and ability in uh, Great Plains corn ethanol plants. Professor, we thank you for joining us. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Welcome back to the Rural Radio Network. Now joined with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel Zang Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grains. John, as we take a look here at the end of the day trade, uh, exports really kind of spurring a few towards the end. Yeah, very uh, very good day. You know, I go home feeling guarded on a Friday when the markets trade like this. Um, you know, corn, even though it was only up a half a cent, it was off its lows by two and a half and kind of sets itself up here for next week to, to jump. So this will be the second straight weekly high we've had after, gosh, trading sideways for what felt like forever now. Um, not a lot of green bars on my charts in the weeklies going all the way back. And, you know, I, I look for a test here, probably a nickel or two higher, 365. We can take out this 100-day uh, moving average early next week. I think we'll run right to 365. And, and there you're going to get farmers selling. You're going to get all sorts of... Uh, you know, you know, reasons to see product move, but in my opinion, things still too cheap. Looking at the stock market, all the indexes, the same reasons I've been bullish are the same other reasons why I've been bullish, uh, not to mention the wheat markets that just continue to rally. And that's where I go next is the wheat. They were the, really the stars of this whole week as they continue to see more green. What, what's behind them? Well, good exports today. The dollar, I think, is the big thing. And then the lack of rainfall just down south of you guys is, you know, it's uh, it's one of those markets that can really streak. And, and, you know, we're still cheap relative to where we've been over the last decade. You look at these numbers, we still, I say, got to get above, say, 440. We haven't had a lot of luck above 440 going all the way back to the summertime. Or, I'm sorry, the late summertime. We, we had a kind of a correction after the fall apart from, you know, the high 5th, 570s all the way down to the low 
you know, fours, high threes, and then we corrected and went back to four. We haven't been able to get above that. If we get above that, I think there's another 40 cents of this market, takes the new crop into the fives, and then it's about what we're going to grow. Looking out towards uh, next week and further on, the U.S. dollar one that really took a beating this week, does it have the possibility to come back with a rebound? I think it's possible. You know, they, we're not going to see a ton of data that's that's going to change the story. And I think that's the same in corn and beans. We're, we're you know a couple of weeks away from the WASDE reports that are going to you know no longer remind us of uh, of old crop supply. And that's the one thing I think the market has uh, in its pocket right now is just the fact that these traders are very very nervous about what's going to be grown next year, given that the dollar environment is changing. What do soybeans need to go higher? Meal. Watch the meal market. Soybean meal is probably the one you want to watch the most. Soy meal, if that can churn higher, bounce off this level here and trade back into those highs, I think beans will be right back with the wheat and the corn market. John Payne was Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago. Contact Daniels Ag Marketing at danielsagmarketing.com. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network.